Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. A faithful Father, we pray that you would put away from us all false ways, that you would graciously teach us your word and your law, that we have chosen the way of faithfulness as you have set it before us. And we put our faith not in ourselves but in yours. Lord, that you are the one who is faithful. As we cling to your promises, Lord, let us not be put to shame. Let us run in the way that you have commanded us as you enlarge our very hearts through the work of the Spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hear now the word, Lord, from Exodus chapter 15, verses 1 to 3. This is God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. Please take heed how you hear. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed graciously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Thus ends the reading of God's inerrant, fallible word. Thanks be to God. Worship wars sounds quite uh, brutal, but a term that has been used to be able to describe this historical divide that has caused great discussion, often a divide within the modern church, often labeled in two separate categories, that which is traditional and that which is contemporary. Often churches have been divided in this. Often churches have basically sought to be able to just choose of two different ways. We'll have two different services to be able to have two different groups of people, whatever they would like. But discussions really centered around the role of worship in the church, particularly how worship connects to evangelism. What has been called seeker-sensitive services, a great book which looks at the historical development of this is called Loving on Jesus, Concise History of Contemporary Worship by Lester Ruth and uh, Lim Sui Hong. However, we must realize that worship is at the heart of humanity. That ever since the fall, there has been worship wars. Cain and Abel was not merely a story about how we relate to our brothers and sisters and where sibling rivalry began. It is a story about how two brothers worshipped God. Because worship is what we are made to do. That Paul writes in Romans 1 that everybody worships. However, instead of worshiping God, the creator of man and the world, they exchange this truth about God for a lie and begin to worship the creation rather than the creator. And sadly, we have moved in our arguments and our disagreements away from asking one of the most in questions about this. 
What does the Bible say about worship? Again, we often think about the problems or the questions we face, and we think that they're all brand new, that no one has ever had this problem like this. And therefore, because it's a new problem, we need a new solution. However, worship is not new. Worship wars are not new. Worship is throughout the Bible. Good worship, bad worship. You actually might argue that worship is one of the main central themes of the Bible. That what do we do in the new heavens and the new earth is but to worship. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. So you might say that the, the whole story of the Bible speaks of worship. True worship, false worship. That Adam and Eve are placed in the garden and they're made to be able to worship. This term used of priests in the temple and they're the priests in the temple seeking to be able to worship the God who had made them. And you go from worship in the temple, in the Garden of Eden, to worship in the temple, in the new heavens, in the new earth. Revelation, we see the elect singing and the glorifying God throughout the whole book. Even as we look at, even in our Wednesday night Bible studies, about what is happening and falling in the kingdoms between the north and the south, often the predominant theme which comes up is how they worship God particularly the violation of the second commandment. Why bring this up? Again, to be able to truly grasp and fathom if worship is one of the most central themes in the whole entire Bible, then we need to be able to see what the Bible says about worship. What does it say is good worship? What does it say is bad worship? How are we then to worship? These principles you might say, of worship. Once we understand the principles, then we can start to fathom and ask the right questions what worship is today. So today we'll look at the first few verses in Exodus 15. But what we can see in in these few short verses, that these verses teach us a great deal about worship. First, what do we see? The people saying to the Lord. That's what we see first. The people saying to the Lord. Although there is a a divide in our Bibles with a heading and a big number, we cannot separate what has gone before at the end of chapter 14, these few moments ago, that the people of God had seen this great work of salvation as God had redeemed them and saved them from the hand of Pharaoh totally and finally as he has crushed and uh, destroyed them. They see this salvation, this deliverance, as they see the great power of God, but also the dead bodies on the enemies upon the shore. Over the course of this night, they went from petrified people to praising people. They went from being stuck to being saved, from distressed to delivered. And the response at the end of chapter 14 is they feared the Lord, that they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. 
So then what happens next? It's not by chance that we have the people's response to this salvation and deliverance in God's word. The people saying. And this is one of the critical key points that we see throughout all of Scripture. Foundational in the Bible. That salvation leads to singing. It's not then by chance that singing is a vital part of God's people, not only in Exodus 15, but time and time again, this is the response God's people have to this salvation. They praise Him, but specifically praise Him through song. It's not just a few times in the Bible, however just to name a few, Deborah and Barak in in chapter 5 of Judges, when they save God's people from their enemy, their response is to sing. Psalm 104 verse 33 says, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. Psalm 7, as we read this morning in our call to worship, I will sing praise to the name of the Lord most high. This is not only just an Old Testament principle where we see salvation leads to song, but it's also true in the New Testament. That Jesus sang. He sang psalms and hymns with his disciples. In Luke chapter 24, after Jesus gives the great teaching lessons, how he is the suffering servant that is revealed through the, the prophets and the psalms and Moses. He blesses the disciples, ascends into heaven, and the disciples' response is to worship him. It would be a great survey for anyone to be able to do, to be able to go through the Bible and to be able to pinpoint this principle that salvation leads to song. We'll end with the book of Revelation. That throughout the book of Revelation, key points in, in the whole uh, book as a whole is, is these points where God's people sing. The believers are and will be singing people. This is again nothing new that the church has come up with, but true throughout the whole Old and New Testament. We are specifically even instru- commanded to sing. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, we're to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, to be able to address one another with these things, singing, making melody to the Lord with our heart. Why do we sing in church? Because God's people have always been singing people, and God has commanded us to continue to sing as his people. In the opening section of the Trinity Psalter Hymnal, which is where we get a lot of our psalms from, has a great note, actually has eight notes, about how the congregation can prepare for singing and the importance of congregation's involvement in this singing. The eighth point is a great exhortation. Finally, do not worry about what others think, think of your singing. Whether you're classically trained or consider yourself monotone. God wants you to sing. 
Your voice will blend with all the voices now and through eternity to bless, bring praise to our God. Singing is one of the few corporate activities done during worship. And remember that our singing here on earth is a rehearsal for what we will be doing in heaven forever. We also need to notice something else about this passage. It's not only that the people sang, but specifically they sang to the Lord. As Paul points out in Ephesians 5, not only do we address one another when we sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, but we sing to the Lord that our singing has an object, a direction. God Almighty. When God's people worship, they praise and adore the Lord, the God, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who has saved them and saved our very souls. We encourage and address one another as our praise goes onward and upward to the Lord God Almighty. Just as our prayers ascend to the throne of grace, so do our praises. Notice this principle at work in Paul and Cyrus when they're in prison in Philippi in the middle of the night. They've just gone and proclaimed the the gospel and they've had a great work of salvation when they went to the Bible study on the river shore with Lydia and her, her sisters in Christ. But eventually there's this stirring up with this young girl and they end up in prison. Here they are in the dark prison cell with a feet in stalks, what do they do? Verse 24 says that they sing and pray to the Lord. We're told that others are listening, but their prayer and their praise is directed to God. How often do we think of this when we are singing? We do not merely gather to hear the preacher. And the early church said we need something for the people to do to be able to you know, feel included. How, how can we get them included? Well, I sing a couple of hymns or songs. That the whole service from the call to worship to the benediction is active participation of members in the pews from praying as we pray corporately as we all together at the end say amen. Yes, I agree with this prayer. From even hearing in a sermon is an active participation of the the members in the pew. The singing. When God's people gather, they lift their voices in praise and adoration, thanksgiving and devotion to the one who has established the heavens and the earth, her foundation, and has saved their very souls. Again, this principle often gets diluted, not abandoned. But even when we think about what the seeker-sensitive movements do, their movement says that praise and worship services cease to become about God and God's people worshiping that God. And often these bad practices and thoughts lead to wrong motivations. 
and the other way around. The Westminster explained it this way, that religious worship is to be given to God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and to Him alone, not to angels, saints, and any other creature. And since the fall, not without a mediator, nor with the mediation of any other but of Christ alone. So here we see the reformed principles of worship at work. What is worship? Worship is to be given to God. How do we worship God? Only through Christ alone. To God alone, to God be the glory alone, through Christ alone. And one other factor we need to be able to mention, and I can't unpack it fully in this point, but we will see it. God specifically saves his people for them to be a worshiping people. We'll see this clearly as we unpack. It's not merely that God has saved them now when he just says, all right, be free, go do what you want. He saves them specifically that they might serve him. The second thing that we see in this passage is the people saying about the Lord. Not only do they sing to the Lord, but the contents of their songs and our songs need to be directed to and about God. It needs to be biblical. And what I mean by that is not necessarily the words need to be biblical, although that is very true, or that they're from the Bible. What we need to emphasize in our songs is what the Bible emphasizes in our songs. And when we look at the praises of God and the songs in the Bible, there is one great and overarching theme and focus. Not only are the songs sung to God, but they are about God. We'll look at this more in the coming weeks as we start to see what the people are actually singing in the song of Moses, the psalm of Exodus. But we need to understand this important principle. We should sing more about God than ourselves. Now, that does not mean that we cannot sing, create in me a clean heart, as David does in Psalm 51. Although the Psalms do sing of the life and the believer, they often focus on God and what he has done. Harry Johnson notes that there are are about 844 references throughout the Psalms to the attributes of God, directly and indirectly, throughout the whole Psalms. And what he notes is that the subjective, the psalmist's weaknesses, are driven to the objective. The psalmist does not just sit there and say, Woe is me, I am weak. He often says, I am weak, but God is my refuge. It's driven to God, and the focus is not on the person, but their Savior. This can be an issue when we select hymns. And it's why as we have different hymns that appear in our bulletins. Not because I, as I select hymns, think, Oh, I really want to make the church suffer this week. Let's throw in a new one. 
Our hymns should be focused on God, His character, His attributes, His salvation. I really worry about what is going to happen when this generation who has gone through all of these modern contemporary versions of songs and they're on their deathbed. And there are songs that should give them strength and hope in that time are not about the attributes, the character of God's salvation. They're about what they have done, who they are. As you look throughout a hymnal, where are the focuses? In ours, I think, ours, the red one that we have, that there's a, quite a small slither that actually say that our hymns are worship, a praise and adoration. And we have a large bit about our own Christian testimony. Again, it's not bad, but where is our focus? And I think that a lot of Modern songs written within the last 150 years focus mainly and have shifted more directed to the person rather than to God. But what we see in the Psalms, and as we see in the Psalm of Exodus, is that our singing is not only to be directed to God, but is about God. But more specifically, it's not just about any God. It is about their God the Lord, the God of the covenant, Yahweh. Ten times in these 18 verses, the covenant name of God, Yahweh, appears. Shown in our Bibles with capital letters, L-O-R-D or G-O-D. Worship is not to be made to any other. Again, to God alone, the Father, Son, and Spirit, as He has revealed Himself in His Word. Christian worship is about who we, do, who we know, the Lord. It's not merely we gather together in hope, like flinging spaghetti to the ceiling, hoping that something will stick. We're just going to sing to any God and see what happens. Paul explains in Acts chapter 17 that here they are, the people worship what is unknown. And, and Paul says, that, let me proclaim to you what you do not know, The God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. We do not worship just any God. We worship the God. The God who has made himself known to his people and made a covenant with them. The covenant-keeping God. Yahweh, our songs and our hymns not need not only be about speaking about a God of a vast or creator in a general statement, but the God who has revealed himself to his people through his word. But lastly, that the people sang to their God. The people sang to their God. Now it might seem contradictory to the previous point that all of our praises are directed to God, But it's not. The singing of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to the Lord does not forbid the use of personal pronouns. 
But it does seek that the personal pronouns are not the focus. See this clearly in verse 2. Notice that although the people are singing to the Lord, they're still able to use the word my. There's a corporate aspect of what we do in worship as we all collectively gather together as the author of Hebrews says, let us not neglect meeting together as some in the habit of doing. But yet there's an individual aspect to what we do in worship. As we sing to God together, each of us is worshiping our God. And in this passage that begins by explaining the people saying to the Lord, collectively as a people together, they then individually are able to be able to say that the Lord is my strength, the Lord is my song, the Lord is my salvation. He is my God, my Father's God. And each of these words are found in a singular use. That as the whole congregation sings these words, they carry a personal meaning to each individual. Not in their own sense that they, they make their own gods up. It is the same God in which they worship, but each of them worship Him. They can realize that although they walked through the great walls of redemption in the Red Sea, as they sing that God saved them, they don't merely just say, God saved all of these people. They cry out and their song says, God saved me. I walked across on the dry ground. I was not covered in water and judged as those Egyptians were. That God saved me from slavery. God saved me from Pharaoh. That God is my strength. God is my salvation, that he is mine. That we can collectively sing a hymn like Amazing Grace. But we need to be able to say that God saved a wretch like me. That I once was lost. I once was blind, but now I see. Martin Luther explains that these words in the Bible should almost be written in gold. He says, read with great emphasis these words, me or for me, and accustom yourself to accept and apply to yourself this me with certain faith. The words of our and us and for us ought to be written in golden letters. The man who does not believe them is not a Christian. That when we sing to our God, we do it collectively together as his people, but we sing and cry out that he saved me. That worship has both corporate and individual aspects. That each of us should be able to come prepared in heart to be able to stand before our great and glorious God that we worship. That as we come together on the Lord's day, both morning and evening, we do not merely just sing songs making notes that come from our mouths. We carry out one of the key practices of believers throughout all of human history. That God's people sing to their Lord. 
that they sing about their Lord. The day is everybody sings, sings to their personal God and Savior. So in closing, let us remember that these worship wars often be able to move away the focus. They vary, they vary during different times in course of history. That men and women are made to be able to worship. But let us remain fastly firm, anchored in the timeless truths as God has revealed in Scripture. May we continue to sing to the Lord with hearts full of gratitude and adoration, lifting our voices in unity as the redeemed community that God has purchased with His own blood. May our songs be saturated with the truths of God's Word, declaring His greatness, His majesty, as the world watches on and listens. May each of us approach worship with a deep sense of personal reverence, Acknowledge the intimate relationship that we have with our Savior and King. Let us do it for His glory and His honor. Let's pray. Gracious and most merciful Father, we thank You so much. As we read throughout Your Scriptures that we see vital key truths and principles. As we read this morning, Lord, that You are a God in which the people sing about. And have continued to sing about. And the church throughout the ages have been a singing people. Lord, let us sing and understand that we are not merely filling time. But we are in deep worship and adoration, worshiping you. Collectively, corporately as your body of believers. Lord, help us to be able to prepare our hearts as we come each Lord's Day to be able to gather together as we sing to you. Help us to be able to be prepared for that great and glorious day where the body of believers will sing those glorious songs in the new heavens and the new earth. Help us, Lord, to be able to fix our eyes upon you, addressing one another but singing unto you with our hearts. And Lord, fill us with a deep sense of gratitude and thanksgiving unto you as each of us, as each individual person we would realize we sing to you, our God and our Savior, our strength and our salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.